You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ignition sequence start. Oh, Elijah Wan has David Robinson. Just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three innings. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McLeany at the buzzer. Yeah! Chris Paul puts it up. Goes to hard on Thompson. Steps right. Shoots for the win of three. He got it. I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook. James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's going to be scary. Not for us. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, at JT Gatlin on Twitter, producer with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship here in Houston. Today, we've got a little bit of a different show. I was with Robert Land of the Houston Sports Talk podcast yesterday afternoon, closer to the evening kind of time. And so what I'm going to do for today's show is I'm actually just going to plug in what he and I talked about yesterday. We talked about the Rockets' increased pace. We talked about James Harden and his role in the defense. We talked about Clint Capella. We talked about Daniel House. We covered a lot of topics. And so for the first two segments of this show, I'm just going to grab the audio from that. We're going to listen to that really quick. And then in the third segment, I'm going to talk about the Rockets' game tomorrow night, which is Saturday night. This is Friday morning as I record this, and we'll talk about the upcoming Bulls game and a couple things that I'd like to see out of Westbrook and Capella in that game specifically. So without further ado, here we go. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast and on the line with me for this one is Sports Talk 790 producer and brand new Locked On Rockets podcast host, Jackson Gatlin. He's so new, he's still got that new podcast host smell. Great to have you on the podcast, Jackson. Happy to be here, Robert. How's it going today, man? It's going pretty good. The Rockets uh, they won a couple of games, although the competition, not that great. But I, I want to start off talking to you about the pace of play. And, you know, prior to Dan Tony's arrival with the Rockets, he loved that quick pace. He succeeded with the Suns and Steve Nash, failed with uh, Carmelo Anthony's kind of old man game, then succeeded again with Lynn Sanity for a bit, but failed with the creaky old Lakers and Kobe Gasol and Dwight. So Westbrook arrives, Jackson, and he proclaims the Rockets are going to increase the pace. Was that a terrible miscalculation to try to do that here when you've got James Harden and P.J. Tucker getting big minutes who are the last guys, to me anyway, who make sense in that type of system? I don't think it was a mistake per se, and I think that so far we've seen them playing at an increased level, and James Harden has shown in the past that he is capable at playing at a higher level and a higher pace of play. It's just that he has such a measured, methodical play style in the half-court set that he doesn't necessarily need to play at a high pace, but Westbrook... Austin Rivers, Daniel House, some of the more athletic, faster guys on the team have definitely been exceeding themselves in this faster-paced offense. And there's been kind of this issue since Mike D'Antoni came to Houston where there's this misconception that Houston plays at a fast pace. Under Mike D'Antoni here in Houston, 
Houston actually hasn't really played at a fast pace at all. The Rockets have been one of the slower paced teams in the league, and that is due in large part to James Harden and his style of play. But it's been apparent to me and many others since Russell Westbrook has started playing in a Rockets jersey that the pace has skyrocketed. They are one of the league leaders in pace of play right now. And I think that by and large, it's been a positive impact. Now we're seeing kind of some dead legs, whether it's from the awkward preseason travels over to Japan or just not enough offseason conditioning. So when you have dead legs, in addition to increased pace of play, what's going to struggle from that, your three-point shooting, your defense, you're going to have some issues, which kind of sums up the beginning of the season for this Rockets team. Yeah, I, I guess I see them kind of slowing the pace down a little bit in the last couple of games. And it feels like they're having more success on defense. Cause when you speed the pace of play up, you know, you got to know where everybody is on defense and the Rockets still don't know that. But, but I guess what I'm saying, Jackson is my biggest concern is it's, you know, you got James Harden who I, I know he can maybe speed it up a little bit, but it just doesn't seem like he's had the success doing it. PJ Tucker is old. I don't want to run him into the ground and he's not fast. So he doesn't seem like, he would be good for this. And and just the Rockets as a whole, aren't they one of the oldest teams in the NBA? I mean, you've got uh, guys like Tyson Chandler or uh, Tabo Sevalosha that it doesn't make any sense for this, for them to do this. They are a team that's a bit old uh, or a bit long in the tooth, I guess. Um, they, I want to say they're the second or maybe third oldest team in the league. I think second sounds right off the top of my head. But and you're totally right. You've got guys who are somewhat maybe set in their ways, like James Harden, a guy who maybe doesn't necessarily want to play at a faster pace. But I don't think that means that they are incapable of doing so. And looking at the team so far, I think that what you can dial it back to is, yes, you've got older guys on the roster. You've got 34 year old P.J. Tucker, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Eric Gordon. They're all right at that 30 year old mark and they're kind of on the on the wrong side of 30. So they will start to age and we'll start to see signs of that soon as they exit their their respective primes. But I think that you can dial that back to Mike D'Antoni and his tendency to run these shortened lineups very early in the season. I mean, in just last night's game, he ran essentially a seven man rotation because they were without Eric Gordon. Mike D'Antoni is very comfortable running these short rotations, running the minutes high. I think Daniel House played 39 minutes last night. P.J. Tucker played 38. There's no reason for 34-year-old P.J. Tucker to play 38 minutes against an undermanned Golden State Warriors team. But that's just who Mike D'Antoni is as a coach, and I think that he needs to be held a little bit more accountable to spreading the minutes around, getting more minutes to some of the younger players. That way guys like PJ Tucker and James Harden, Russell Westbrook, guys that have such a high usage rating can get some rest and be fresher as the season progresses, especially if the idea is to keep this pace of play sky high like they have so far. Yeah, I mean, I've heard him say, Ben McLemore, I want to get him some more time. Or if you want to get Ben McLemore some more time, take some minutes off of PJ Tucker, take some minutes off of some of these other guys. And, and he's been vocal, Jackson. He's not happy about their effort. And not sure if you caught this during the Warriors ESPN broadcast, but JBG said the best players on a team need to set the effort. They need to set the tone for the effort. And that felt like shots fired at Harden and Westbrook. And I just wondered, am I the only one who's noticed this pattern of the Rocket struggles early in seasons and how Harden's effort on defense appears to increase after the first 10 or 15 games. I mean, it cost Kevin McHale his job just a few years ago, and, and they've done this year in and year. We blamed it on Carmelo last year, but this is, to me, this is kind of a little bit James Harden not really putting 
full fourth effort on the defensive side. I mean, you, you see him losing guys defensively and just, you know, not not really paying attention to the details. Definitely. I mean, I consider myself a Houston Rockets fan, of course. That's why I'm here talking about the Rockets. I love the Houston Rockets. But at that same by that same metric, I do also kind of try to take a step back and look at things from an unbiased point of view. And there are a number of times where James gets caught ball watching. He's not putting his best best foot forward on the defensive side of the ball. And it used to be, sure, you could make the argument that he carries so much of the offensive load that he does take plays off on defense. There was the Shacked in a Fool video from years ago that people still think is relevant today regarding James's defense. And sometimes it is. Sometimes he does get caught ball watching. Sometimes he's not putting forth the good faith effort on that side of the basketball and not leading by example. And I think that In the two years that Chris Paul spent here in Houston, Chris kept James accountable. There was a level of Chris Paul wasn't afraid to call out James Harden if James wasn't giving his best effort on that side of the basketball. And that helped him. That elevated him to be a better leader, to be a better MVP, to be a better franchise cornerstone, because then you had a guy who finally was willing to hold him accountable after the couple years with Dwight Howard and that fiasco. And now you've got Russell Westbrook, who even though the personal ties are stronger between Westbrook and Harden than they were between Paul and Harden, Will Westbrook be that guy who's able to hold James Harden accountable? Will anybody be able to hold James Harden accountable? Will Mike D'Antoni do it? Will Daryl Morey do it? Because we've already seen it at points this season where James Harden isn't focused on defense, where he is allowing backdoor cuts. I think that Miami Heat game was probably the worst one because you had guys like Myers Leonard who went off for, I think, 21 points in that game. And a majority of those were just backdoor cuts where it was a switch. James Harden was guarding him and just not paying attention, just ball watching. And all he had to do was take a dive towards the rim and get an easy pass for two points. So I think that overall, you're right. James does have to be held accountable. But who's going to do that? Whether whether it's going to be the coach, whether it's going to be the general manager, whether it'll be his longtime friend, Russell Westbrook, or maybe even himself. Maybe James will come to realize that there is nobody to hold him accountable and that he does have to do it by himself. Amen to all of that. And I, I want to ask you about one of Allen Iverson's favorite things, practice. I'm talking about practice. And it's no secret that D'Antoni doesn't like to practice during the season in a way he wants to lighten the load on his players. But Jackson, as I've watched the Rockets play this year, they appear to be not rotating correctly on defense. And even offensively, I'm not seeing players where they're supposed to be. Is it my imagination here or would it help a little bit if they practice? And then this group kind of got to know each other and where everybody was supposed to be. I think that you can accomplish some of these things by just, well, I think what this dials back to also is that Mike D'Antoni has said that they are probably a little bit out of shape, that they didn't come into the season with, you know, putting their best foot forward, you know, being in the best shape that they could possibly be in. Therefore, because of that, they're not putting forth the maximum amount of effort that they could on a nightly basis because they're not in shape. They're, they've got some of them have lingering injuries. Clint Capella is battling a, a minor shoulder injury. Russell Westbrook has a few minor injuries that are kind of lingering. He's had the knee scope in the offseason. He's got the dislocated fingers on his shooting hand. And just last night, he bumped knees near the end of the game and checked out. And it looked like he was going to the locker room at first and that was the major concern but he sat down at the end of the bench in post game he kind of rudely refused to answer any questions about the knee bump but for all intents and purposes we'll assume he's okay regarding that but I think for us to be able to really 
get a grasp on this team and understand kind of where they're at and the problems that they've been having, it's maybe not necessarily because of lack of practice and more just you've got a new core of guys, a new group of personnel. You've got Tablas F. Losha, Tyson Chandler. You've got Russell Westbrook, who's not accustomed to this switching style of defense. So it'll just take some time for them to get comfortable within this new system. Obviously, you've got guys that have been here before. You've got guys that have gelled over time and they know their roles. And I don't think it's so much of an issue on the offensive side of the ball as it is defensively, because really getting into this switching scheme and knowing when you're supposed to switch, when you're not supposed to switch, things like that. I don't think that can necessarily be resolved in practice. And it's going to be something that just has to be worked at on a game by game basis. And we are back in here to continue talking about your Houston Rockets right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Mentioned at the top of the show yesterday, I joined Robert Land on the Houston Sports Talk podcast, which if you're not following them on Twitter, they are at HST Podcast on Twitter. Go give him a follow. Puts out a lot of great content, interviews a lot of amazing guests, if I do say so myself. And we're just going to go ahead and continue right back with the interview that I had with him yesterday. I'm going to say something that I know a lot of Rockets fans may not want to hear, but Russell Westbrook, does he make your team better? Because last year when we saw the Rockets, when Chris Paul was on the floor and James Harden wasn't on the floor, the Rockets would eat alive other teams' bench. I haven't seen it as much with Russell Westbrook. I know last year when Westbrook was playing with Paul George, his net rating was not good when Paul George was not on the floor. It's not been good necessarily when the Rockets have been playing with just Russell Westbrook and not James Harden. Where are you? I think that we have too small of a sample size to tell right now and that the competition that the Rockets have faced to this point in addition to the issues that they've faced both both offensively and defensively. They've had guys who have been in shooting slumps to start the season. They've also had the issues on the defensive side of the basketball. I don't think we've seen the final product, so to speak, of what this team really can be. I think we've seen it in glimpses. We saw the first half against the Milwaukee Bucks, which honestly the Rockets looked dominant in that half. They went into halftime with, I want to say it was a 15-point lead, like 65 to 50 or something. And we've seen spurts where the team has looked lethal. And uh, not James Harden, I apologize. Russell Westbrook has been at the head of some of those some of those runs, some of those spurts where the team has looked unstoppable at times on, on both ends of the court. And so I think it's too early to tell whether or not Westbrook is – a better fit or will be better overall for this team or makes this team better than Chris Paul. I think that Chris Paul was an easier fit right away because he was able to slide in next to James Harden and be a spot up shooter and still orchestrate the offense and run the team, run the second unit the way that he wanted to once James Harden sat down. And I think Russell Westbrook still getting used to that. An observation made by Jeff Van Gundy last night was that Russell Westbrook is now getting his rest. He's getting two rests in the first half, which is not what he's used to. He's used to running the James Harden minutes load, which is you play basically the entire first quarter or almost all of it, and then you sit down for one long rest, and then you play the back end of the second quarter. That has been Russell Westbrook's minutes distribution for his entire career, basically. And now suddenly you've got James Harden who occupies that minute's load and you've got Russell Westbrook working in this new system. And that's kind of hard for a veteran to suddenly change how your body is used to exerting all of its energy. He's used to going 
110% for the entire first quarter and then taking that long rest and then going 110% for the back into the second quarter. So that might play into it. There's a, there's a ton of different factors that play into it, but I think the sample size is just too small right now to tell. I think that's fair enough. And you talk about rest. He's also getting the rest that he's never really gotten, I think, with just James Harden handling the ball so much. That's definitely true. I, I would I would like to see a little bit more of Russ handling the basketball when, when they're both on the court. That is, I would like to see a bit more of Russ handling the ball with James playing off ball because it's it's already readily apparent. Russ is not a shooter. We knew that. When we traded for him, we knew that coming in. Russell Westbrook is never going to be a shooter. That's just not who he is. Right now, I, I want to say he's averaging – his average is at the rim. He's shooting like 73% at the rim, something along those lines, something ridiculous. All of his mid-range shots that he's been taking are – he's somewhere around the 25 or well below 25% range from all his mid-range looks. And then he's shooting like 27% from three, something pretty pretty atrocious. So Russell Westbrook isn't a shooter, and that's – very apparent because defenders are sagging off of him. They're helping on James's drives. They're clogging the paint when he, James is trying to run the pick and roll with Clint Capella. So I would really like to see Russ handle the ball a bit more, have James be the one off ball. And that requires a bit of a commitment from James. It requires more concentration on his part to be active off the ball without the basketball in his hands. Maybe it's moving around screens, even if it's just sitting on the sitting on the wing, ready to catch a pass from Westbrook defenses have to actually honor James Harden's three-point shot, whereas they don't have to do that with with, uh, Westbrook. Capella, uh, he has been in and out of D'Antoni's doghouse this year. Didn't exactly light the world on fire in the playoffs last year either, and I hear national NBA writers mentioning him as a potential trade piece. Is Capella going to last the season in a Rockets uniform, you think? Capella remains an interesting piece because he's one of the pieces that provides the Rockets with some youth, and he still, in my opinion, does have a bit of room to grow. I don't think Capella's hit his ceiling whatsoever. But with this new look Rockets with Russell Westbrook, who does not provide you the same spacing that Chris Paul did, you have to consider the options of potentially moving Capella for a a big man of five who can actually stretch the floor. There are so many different bigs in the NBA now who not only provide what Clint Capella provides as far as rebounding and a defensive anchor as well as being a rim runner and being able to finish around the hoop, but they also provide shooting. A name that really comes to mind is Miles Turner over in Indiana. A guy like that in this rocket system in place of Clint Capella would be lethal because then you get to play five out at all times, providing the spacing for Russell Westbrook. And then you also still get the option of having the verticality that Clint Capella provides your offense, where you get to play above the rim. So being able to combine those two elements would be huge for this new look Rockets team. Now, do I think that they actually move Clint Capella? I don't know. It's pretty early in the season. Capella still does his job well when he's in shape and when he's not battling a, you know, a variety of injuries. Right now, it's the shoulder one. It, last year in the playoffs, he was battling that. Uh, I want to say it was the uh, some type of a virus or something that was kind of, la- you know, causing him to lag a little bit against the Warriors in that series. So when Clint Capella is healthy, he is a good center. In my opinion, he's a top 10 center in the league for what he does, which is pretty huge for a guy that can't essentially create his own shot because he excels at the few things that he does do well, which is catch lobs, contest shots in the paint, get rebounds. He's a, he's a walking double-double. And all he has to do is catch lobs from James Harden and Russell Westbrook to make that work. So it remains to be seen. I think a f- stretch five would be huge for this team, but I don't know if they'll be able to pull off a deal for him. 
Yeah, the biggest uh, surprise, I guess, of the role players, uh, Capella's been, eh, you know, he's been so-so, but uh, Daniel House shooting 45.8% from three as you and I speak. Red Hot, big fan of his game, but one thing I'm not sure of is where he's at as a defender. And Jackson, I want to know how you assess him so far as a defensive player. Is he good, above average, average, below average? You know, how are you seeing him? I would list him at, well, really quickly, in your scale, would you say it is good, which is higher, good or above average? Good, for sure, yeah. Okay. I would put him at above average with potential to be good because from what we've seen so far this season, and we didn't see quite as much of this last season, so I take it as this is something that he really kind of went into the offseason realizing, hey, if I want to carve out a permanent roster spot or if I want to carve out potentially a starting spot, which he's had a couple games now, I think that he really realized he needed to hone in on his defense and be that defensive wing that the Rockets have sorely missed since Trevor Ariza left in free agency. And I think that Daniel House provides you some of that. His defense has been extraordinary to start the season. He still has moments where he's not maybe in the right spot at the right time, but his man-to-man defense and his rebounding have been huge for the Rockets. I think the net rating of their lineups that include P.J. Tucker and Daniel House are the best ratings across all their different uh, all the different lineups this season. And that's because those are the those have been the two best defenders for the Rockets so far. Daniel House is contesting shots. He's uh, oftentimes he's put on the opposing team's best player in the sense that P.J. Tucker, when he's running, when we're running the tuck wagon lineup, usually has to start on the opposing team's five until all the switching takes place which leaves Daniel House to guard the opposing team's best player as opposed to PJ guarding them because PJ has to use his weight and his skill to guard the opposing bigs. And Daniel House has been great at that. He held Kyrie Irving very well on a number of possessions in the Brooklyn game. I know that wound up being a loss, but in specific matchups, Daniel House has looked competent on that end of the court. He's also been a huge help on the on the uh, in the rebounding element. And I think that he is the guy that you want starting next to Westbrook and James Harden. You don't want Eric Gordon in that starting lineup anymore, not just because of Eric Gordon's struggles, but also because Daniel House provides you size. He gives you athleticism, and you already mentioned it at the top. He gives you that lethal three-point shot, which has been incredible. Even if he was shooting somewhere in the average range of 37 38%, that'd be great. But to be shooting 45% from beyond the arc is that is just the cherry on top of some pretty great defense to start. Yeah, the other thing, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the Rockets don't have a lot of players with, hey, this guy's got a lot of upside and we haven't seen the best out of him. And you said Capella's got a little bit more. I'm not so sure. I, I do think Daniel House has got some real upside because, yeah, he came out late. He's older for as little in the league as he's played. But still, the thing about House is I think his shooting can get better because guys typically do the more they're in the NBA and also you know he's just gonna get to the he's gonna get the hang of it defensively I I think he's gonna get better there just with experience I mean experience matters on defense oh it definitely does the more you're in the league the more times that you have a chance to guard you know incredible players one-on-one and honestly it'll make you a better team defender too the more reps that he gets in that starting lineup the more reps that he sees just on a game-by-game basis he'll get better as the season progresses we've already seen kind of what he was able to provide in a short stint with the Rockets last season when he was pretty raw came straight out of the G League you know didn't quite 
have any reps under his belt. And then there was the whole contract dispute. And then he wasn't able to really get back in time to get into a groove before the playoffs happened, which is regrettable. But now you're seeing what an offseason with the team was able to do, a training camp with the team preseason, and now we're seeing the early season effects of how good Daniel House can be. And I think that, like you said, he has a lot of upside, and I think that we're going to see maybe even a different version of Daniel House just by the end of this season. He's incorporated things like the step-back three-point shot that James Harden has. It's not quite as flashy as Harden's step-back, but it's effective. And it creates space. He's able to take guys off the dribble. He's able to facilitate. He provides another threat for this Rockets offense, which is huge. Yeah, I love Daniel House. No question about that. And I think a lot of fans, you know, they're rooting for him. He's a Houston kid. You can't help but root for him. And with no Gerald Green, you know, he is your your Houston mayor of the Rockets, I guess. But uh, before I go, um, want to get, you know, any plugs that you've got. It, it is the best Rockets podcast. It's four days a week, four, four or five days a week, locked on Rockets. And and now, you know, if you need load management, you, you've got Ben DuBose for that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. If I need a load management day off, I can I can just call up Ben and say, hey, I'm subbing you in today. <laughs> uh, and, and people can reach you how? Well, I'm on Twitter at JT Gatlin. Uh, the show, of course, is on there at Locked on Rockets. Either of those avenues are great ways to reach out to me if you have questions about the Rockets, if you want to learn more about the team, if you want to take a listen to the podcast. Really, any way you want to reach me, those are the two best avenues. We are also on Facebook, which is located at facebook.com slash LockedOnRockets. Any of those social media outlets are a great way to reach out to me, to learn more about the team, to ask me questions, anything of that regard. Well, man, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much. Again, that was myself along with Robert Land on his podcast, the Houston Sports Talk podcast, which can be found on Twitter at HST Podcast. Go give him a follow if you're not already doing so. Puts out a lot of amazing content, interviews a lot of great hosts, covers every Houston sport under the sun, covers Rockets, covers Texans, covers Astros, and covers the Cougars. So go ahead and go give him a follow. Listen to his podcast if you're not already doing that. But really quickly, before we head into our final segment, I do have a quick word from our friends over at Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand, and you can start your style upgrade now with $30 off of your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when you enter code LOCKEDON at checkout. Again, that's code LOCKEDON at checkout. All right, as we start this final segment and get things wrapped up before we head on out of here, something that I've noticed, and I want to see this change, and I don't know how likely it is to change, but Russell Westbrook and Clint Capella have rarely been running the pick and roll together. Now, part of that is the minutes. Part of that is they are staggered differently throughout the lineup. Clint Capella's minutes more so line up with James Harden, who... We know James Harden's minutes rotation like the back of our hand. James plays roughly the entire first quarter, checks out with about a minute or two left in the rest of the first quarter, and then he comes back in with about eight or nine minutes to go in the second quarter. It feels like that rest has been shortened. It feels like in previous years he's come back in with seven or eight minutes to go in the second quarter instead of nine or 10 minutes. And I kind of attribute that to the Rockets struggles thus far this season. And the fact that they just need James on the court more than they normally do. Now, with that being said, Clint Capella and James Harden's minutes, they line up. James Harden is running roughly 
about seven pick and rolls a game as the main ball handler. That doesn't include just Clint Capella, but that's just pick and rolls run per game. So that may include a different screener. That may include Tyson Chandler. That may include P.J. Tucker. But he's running seven pick and rolls a game, and we can safely assume that most of those are with Capella. Westbrook is only running two and a half pick and rolls per game right now in a Rockets jersey. And again, because of the way the stats are lined up right now and because of the lack of access to some of the advanced statistics, which I'll get my hands on a little bit later on as the season progresses, can't tell quite just yet who those pick and roll partners are. We can just tell that James and Westbrook are the main ball handler in a pick and roll scenario. That being said, again, Westbrook is just under three pick and rolls a game as a main ball handler, and we can assume that those couple times that he's doing that are with Clint Capella. I'd like to see those numbers go up. Last year, Westbrook averaged almost seven or seven and a half pick and rolls per game as the main ball handler, as the primary ball handler. And again, part of it is the minutes distribution. Part of it is Westbrook and Capella aren't on the court as much as Capella and Harden are. But I think to make the most use out of Russell Westbrook and his ability to go downhill, I spoke about this a little bit in the last pod, where for a guy with all his athleticism and all his explosiveness, it feels like Russell Westbrook isn't quite as adept at breaking guys down off the dribble as James Harden is. And that's because of a lack of handles. That's because of a lack of ability to actually creatively beat somebody off the dribble. He relies completely on that explosive first step. And if guys are backing off of him, giving him two, three feet of space at the three-point line, then it's much harder to beat them off the dribble than it is a guy who is guarding James Harden who has to be pretty much inside Harden's jersey. Otherwise, he's going to get a clean step back. So it's easier to guard Westbrook on the perimeter than it is to guard Harden. Now, in transition, that's a whole other monster. That's why Westbrook succeeds. Defenses can't get set. They can't get a guy in front of him. You're not playing against a whole half-court set defense. You're just playing against guys who are scrambling in transition, and that's where Westbrook thrives. But what I would like to see is more pick-and-roll action between Russell Westbrook and Clint Capella because I feel like getting Westbrook going downhill off of a pick-and-roll action would be, would be huge. And then you open up more opportunities for Capella to score. You open up more opportunities for Westbrook to score. You take away some of the mid-range jumpers that Westbrook has been shooting. I think it'd be entirely easy for Westbrook to beat a big off the dribble. All you have to do is go, go hunting for the switches, just like James does. If Westbrook could take his time, run a pick and roll with Capella, get a big switched onto him, and then just back it up to the three-point line, downhill Westbrook should easily be able to get by an opposing big. That shouldn't even be a contest. And then at that point, if Capella's waiting in the dunk in the dunk spot and Westbrook beats his man off the dribble and then suddenly Capella's man has to come help, guess what? It's an easy alley-oop or quick bounce pass or whatever for Capella. I want to see more Clint Capella, Russell Westbrook pick and roll offense from Houston. And ideally, I'd like to see that against the Bulls this Saturday. Bulls are not a great team. They really aren't. They are 3-6, and six, not great. They are 21st in points per game, 106. They are dead last in the league in rebounds per game, 30th, at just 42 a game, 42 rebounds a game. Assists per game, middle of the pack, and points allowed, more or less middle of the pack. So the Bulls are a young team. 
You know, they've got Lori Markannon, they've got Zach Levine, they're rebuilding their franchise. They have a lot of upside, but this should be an easy win for the Rockets. It really should. And for a team that has a pretty monster stretch coming up here, you've got the Bulls in Chicago, then you've got New Orleans in New Orleans, the Pelicans, and then after that, there is a brutal stretch for this Rockets team. So you really need to pick up the wins against Chicago and against New Orleans because after that, in a row, you have at home against the Clippers, at home against Indiana, on the road against Minnesota, who Minnesota may not be a good team when everything's said and done, but right now, Carl Anthony Towns is playing out of his mind. And that team, and Andrew Wiggins, for some reason, has the ability to go off one night and then disappear for four games in a row. So you always have to at least respect the Minnesota matchup. Then you come back home for the Portland Trailblazers November 18th. Then you're on the road again at Denver, at LA Clippers. Then you come back home for Dallas, Miami. And then it finally eases up again when you get Atlanta Hawks on November 30th. So that stretch of games, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight really rough games all in a row. This stretch in November is going to be absolutely brutal. And the Pacers and Timberwolves are actually a back-to-back. So they play here in Houston against the Indiana Pacers on November 15th, and then they fly out immediately and go all the way up to Minnesota to play the T-Wolves. So that eight-game stretch is going to be absolutely brutal. I'd honestly be happy if they came out of that stretch 5-3. and three. I'm expecting more of a 4-4 four and four split, all things considered, because it doesn't seem like the defense has been shored up yet, and it does seem like they are working themselves into shape. Mike D'Antoni did say that the team is not in great shape right now, and what happens when you're not in great shape? When you're not in great shape, when you don't have your legs under you, what suffers the most? It's your defense and your three-point shooting. I said it to Robert. We've said it on Twitter, and that makes a lot of sense as to why this team has struggled to start this season. But that stretch right there, that stretch is going to be absolutely brutal, so you have to pick up these wins against the Bulls and against the Pelicans, and then you go into that eight-game gauntlet, and you just hope to come out on the other end. Six and two would be a miracle. If the Rockets could go six and two in that stretch, that would be an absolute miracle. I can see them dropping one of the games against the Clippers, and then... Miami has been playing some pretty great basketball. Dallas has been playing great basketball. Portland, not playing the best, but it's still Portland. It's still Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. They've still got guys who can put the ball in the the basket. And again, you got to respect them. Same thing as Minnesota. Those two teams probably should be wins, but you can't exactly mark them down. There are no surefire wins in that eight-game stretch, except for maybe Indiana. But even then, Indiana's a good team. Nate McMillan, good coach. You can't really write off any of those teams, and that's how stacked the NBA is this year, especially in the Western Conference, but just overall. There's so much more parity in the league this year that there's really only about a handful of teams, maybe three or four teams across the entire league, where you see them on the schedule and you're like, oh, okay, that's a win. Sweet. You know, I can tune in at halftime and the score should be, you know, Rockets should be 20 up. But there's only about three or four teams that you can really say that for. Everybody else, it's really a competitive league this year. The the balance from all the different all-stars who shifted teams in the offseason, the parity in the Western Conference, 
Phoenix Suns were supposed to be the one bad team in the Western Conference. Like the one really, really bad team in the Western Conference. Everybody had them pegged as nowhere near the playoffs, bottom of the conference again. And Phoenix is playing some incredible basketball. Monty Williams is doing wonders with that organization. And hopefully it continues because I'm just a fan of good basketball. I also have a friend who's a big Phoenix Suns fan, so I like to see it when he's happy. But for this Friday morning episode, this is where we'll go ahead and break things. As always, thank you for tuning in. And if you want more content before our next show, social media is where everything's happening all the time. I'm on there, at JT Gatlin. Houston Sports Talk Podcast, of course, I've already plugged them a couple times, but they are on, they are on there, and Robert is on there, at HST Podcast. And of course, our show is on there, at Locked on Rockets. Past that, there's Facebook, which can be found facebook.com slash LockedOnRockets. There is our email, which is LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. And, of course, the website, LockedOnRockets.com. All of these are different avenues for you to learn more about your Houston Rockets. You can ask me questions about the team. You can place advertising inquiries. Really, it's just a way for you to reach out to me and let me know if there's anything that I can do or that we can do here at Locked on Rockets to improve this show for you, our listeners. Past that. If you would take the time to please rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya, wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, if you could please take a moment to rate and subscribe to the show and give us a five-star review if you think it's worth five stars, because that's how you get the benefit of episodes that go straight to your inbox before they're published to the previously mentioned social media outlets. And then we get the benefit of looking attractive to potential advertisers and keeping this business model rolling along as the most regular podcast covering your Houston Rockets. Again, for this Friday morning episode, November... Oh, goodness, what date is today? November 8th. Sorry, my days are all getting jumbled up. So for this Friday, November 8th, this is where we break things. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope to have you back here very soon at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.